Extroverts, you are in for a treat, but extroverts do not tune out. Welcome to the More Than Numbers Enneagram for Business podcast. My name is Keanu Trujillo, your host and founder of True Strategy, leading the way in Enneagram for Business. We have Wall Street Journal best-selling author Holly Girth, the author of Powerful Purpose of Introverts. She even has an assessment that we'll point you to that tells you what percentage of introvert are you. Now, shocker, I, Keanu, am 0% introvert, and Lamar is a little bit more introvert than I am, a lot more introvert than I am. He tested as an introvert, which was not a surprise. Either way, this is going to be valuable to you. We talk about development and building businesses with a foundation in awareness and self-awareness, and I know that this is going to add value in the same way. So enjoy. Without further ado, welcome to the More Than Numbers Enneagram for Business podcast, Holly Girth. Well, Holly, we are so excited to have you on our podcast today. I know that our listeners are going to get so much out of this. So welcome to the More Than Numbers podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yes. And I think it's so interesting that you have a podcast as well uh, called More Than Small Talk. And I know we're not nearly on that same scale as, as your podcast, but I thought it was just so interesting when when our associate Jessica had lined this up and says she has a podcast called More Than Talk and we're more than numbers. So uh, I, I'd love to learn a little bit about that. Like where did More Than Small Talk come from and, and who how did that title get landed? Yes, I have two co-hosts who are also dear friends of mine and we love to go deeper. We're not a huge fan of lots of small talk <laughs> and we found other people seem to want to do the same. And so that's really how it started, just talking about things on a deeper level and inviting other people to join us in that conversation. We call our listeners fourth chair friends because we pretend we're all sitting at a table together wow. and we're in three chairs and then our listeners are in the fourth. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. Fourth chair listeners, that's a great idea. Wow, <laughs> that's good stuff. No, I think I feel the same way about small talk and Keanu would definitely <laughs> agree with this. It's, <laughs> that like, it's like when you first get in and you meet someone, you're just like, what do we talk about? And I think... I really do that when you finally do get into get into the deeper levels of conversations, most people are appreciative of that. They're actually like the fact that we didn't keep the conversation surface level. Have you felt that? Have you seen that same experience in your life? Yeah, I think we all have so much connection on the go or just that quick in and out. How are you? I'm fine. That when we get to pause with someone and say, no, how are you really? Or let's talk about this thing that could yeah. be hard to talk about that we feel more connected. And I yeah. think we're all longing for that, especially after a year when we have been apart more than ever before. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And, and I'm, I'm so excited to get into your story and, and, and some of the writings that you've done, uh, with a, especially with your latest book, um, speaking specifically to introverts. So I can't wait to, to see all these dots get connected. And one of the disclosures I want to give to our listeners is that typically when we have a guest on here, we reveal their Enneagram type first, but you guys as the listeners, I want you guys all to really tune into the story and see if you can figure out what Holly's Enneagram type is. And at the end of this discussion, she will reveal that. So anyways, Holly, I like to take this thing back to the beginning. Uh, on your website, you mentioned uh, that your grandparents, it all started at your grandparents' bookstore. Uh, but I was curious to get the backstory behind that. So why did that play an impact in your life? 
Yes, I'm the granddaughter of Christian bookstore owners. I was that little girl who grew up carrying around a big stack of books and dreaming of being an author one day. I'm really close to my grandparents are with Jesus now, but I'm named after my grandpa, Holly. And so as long as I can remember, I wanted to write. My mom has my first book that I did when I was five. (laughs) And I started reading nonfiction books in fourth grade. When I told my mom I was going to do a book about introverts, she said, of course you are. In fourth grade, you read Kevin Lehman's birth order book, came up with your own assessment, analyzed your friends, (laughs) did it as your science project. I was like, I have no recollection of this, but I was nine. And so apparently this has always just been built into me. And thankfully having access to that bookstore did a lot as far as nurturing that dream and desire. That is so funny. Just right from that get go, I feel like our listeners are already pinpointing a type. Like it just, <laughs> just kind of gave away that quickly, but uh, but that's but that's so cool. So so you said your first the first book uh, the first nonfiction fiction book came in fourth grade. Yeah, well, right. that's when I read Kevin Lehman's birth order book and really got into all the wow. personality stuff. I'm sure if there had been Enneagram books back then, there probably were. I just didn't know about them. Right, I've right. been doing that too. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so crazy. I mean, when I think about fourth grade for me, one, <laughs> I was not an avid reader in fourth grade at all. So that's a confession of mine. Uh, but I remember it was all Harry Potter and Captain Underpants and like literally <laughs> anything that had to escape our reality. So what, what do you think like drew you to nonfiction at such an early age? I think I've always been curious about people and nonfiction mm. is really about people. And yeah. so for whatever reason, I decided to go down that path. <laughs> so yeah. looking back, it is funny though, that at nine, I was already thinking that way. Yeah. So where's the Christian bookstore now? Is it still within the family? It is not. It got sold when my grandpa was 85. He decided maybe it was time to retire. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I'm really thankful to have had that legacy and just watch them. It was in a small town. They knew their customers. It was just such a great way of reaching people too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so amazing. So when he was 85, what year was that? That would have been, I think, around 2007. Okay. And when was your first book released? Around 2008. Oh, okay. Wow. That's such such interesting timing. Do you have some of your books in in that bookstore that's now bought out? I think that I barely missed that, but I, before I wrote books, I worked for Dayspring Cards, which is uh-huh. a subsidiary of Hallmark. And so I had lots of cards in his bookstore, which made oh. him very happy. He would bring people over to the card rack and say, you That's... need a birthday card? <laughs> my granddaughter wrote this one. So he uh... was my best salesperson. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're the, you're the mind behind all the tear jerking cards that, <laughs> that I give. Yeah. Like you should have seen my grandmother, on, you should have seen my grandmother on mother's day. Like she didn't even get to my writing in the actual <laughs> card. Like she just breaks down in tears, just reading the covers. So, so yeah. thank, thank you to people like you for, for <laughs> providing those types of emotions. It was a fun job. I've had, my husband gave me a card I wrote for our anniversary and I was like, yep, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <You did> that. <laughs> that's so great. That's so great. Um, um, so, so as the people have heard, you are a New York times bestselling author. Um, what I want to get into is what do you feel like some of the events that occurred leading up to that moment because it doesn't just happen in a day all of a sudden I write and like boom I'm a best-selling author but like what do you think built you to get to that point 
Yeah, well, I always had that dream as a kid. And then working at Dayspring, I actually started as an intern for them when I was 19 in college and completely clueless. My little grandma talked to the salesperson when they came to their bookstore and said, I have a granddaughter who wants to write and no one can say no to a Nana, right? So oh my gosh. Um, he was like, uh, she can call corporate and send in some ideas. So I did that having no idea there was like a 1% acceptance rate, but God opened that door and I became an intern and then worked full time for them after I graduated for about a decade. And then I just felt like I was supposed to step out and start writing books full time, which is a risky thing to do looking back. Yeah. But I started pursuing that and got connected with a publisher and ended up stepping out of Dayspring to do that. My last day was a Friday. The following Monday, I got a publishing contract. So that was God's timing. But it was a process of many years and lots of fear. It yeah. wasn't instant. And since then, I just feel like the most important thing when someone has a dream is to just keep showing up. So I try to yeah. just show up every morning and write. I say it's like checking the mail that my job yeah. is go to the mailbox and see if there's something there that God has given me to share. And if so, share it. And some days there's not, and that's okay too. So I think whatever we're called to do, we can look at it that way, that it's not on us to produce results. It's mm. on us to be faithful. And wow. that has really helped wow. because I think in industries like we're in, it can feel like a lot of pressure to focus on outcomes. And I think as soon as we say yes to what God is asking of us, we're already a success. That's and amazing. then he Oof. figures out the details. Oh, oh my gosh. I just got chills <laughs> when you said that. Dang, that's so good. Go ahead, Kiana. <laughs> no, I love that. So you were working for almost a decade or over a decade before you had the opportunity to actually write. Is that, is that correct? Yes, I was doing it as a side hustle. I was also going to graduate school. So I was getting up at 5 a.m. to write my first book because that's the only window I had. I worked full time all day, went to grad school at night. And I'm not a morning person. Oh my I know gosh. some people can do that. I put chocolate on my alarm clock to buy myself to get up. <laughs> And the first time I ate it and I went back to bed. So I'm not like one of those morning people who's like, I get up at 5 a.m. I'm happy. Oh my you know? gosh. I love that. I was totally expecting you to say, I put chocolate in my alarm pack and that got the habit started. You're like, no, the first no. day I ate it. We went back to bed. What a treat. What a treat for me to return back to bed. I love that. Oh my gosh. I'm so fun. So what lessons, what a lesson though in persistence and consistency. So I only had this window. I got up and I leveraged it. I was going to school, I was working behind the scenes. We are a podcast for business owners and entrepreneurs and consistency. It doesn't have to be extreme. It doesn't have to be intense. It just has to be consistent. So what can you teach us on what you learned or what encouragement can you give around consistency and persistence? Yeah, I think it's so easy to wait for the perfect someday. I can definitely do that. I remember in a different era of my life exercise, I was driving my car to work and I was telling myself when life is normal, I will go to the gym for an hour every day. I will train for a half marathon, blah, blah, blah. And I realized I've been saying that for like five years, like wow. normal isn't coming. And these days, normal is definitely not coming. Yeah. So I came up with what I call the do what you can plan. And it literally means every day doing what you can. So in that area, it meant sometimes all I did was a few squats while I blew dry my hair in the morning, much the amusement of my husband and dog. 
but the same with writing, you know, I had these little tiny chunks of time. Sometimes it was 15 minutes. I didn't always feel great about what I wrote, but I just kept doing it. And that over time, it's enough. I think that it's the principle of the loaves and fishes, right? That we say, okay, God, this is all I've got today. (laughs) It Mm. feels small. It feels inadequate. It feels not as good as what everyone else is producing, but I'm going to place it in your hands and see what happens. And I think I discovered God is not only our supplier, he's our multiplier. And Mm. he took that 15 minutes and those few little words and he turned it into what he wanted it to be. And it was enough, not because of me, because I wasn't bringing much to the table at all. (laughs) I was barely awake. (laughs) Eating chocolates and going back to bed. That's right. So, um, So, yeah, I think that freeing ourselves from the idea that we have to do our dream in the way that's ideal and just embracing what's real in this season of our lives and trusting it will be enough. Oh, wow. You, you just spoke so much life into me just now. Like just, just thinking about, because <clears throat> there'll be days even in my own life where <clears throat> you think that, uh, you know, I can't do as much as I would want to. So I'm going to do nothing. Yeah. Like it's, it's been too easy to get into that space. So man, I absolutely love that. I, it's just, do what you can when you can like that. That was so good. And then God being our multiplier, come on. Like, like really just, just thinking about, you know, whatever little that we do good for him, like he can just take that and elevate that to a position we never thought possible. Like, wow, that's so good. Um, I wanted to go back to a little bit of like those intern days, maybe like when you first started, started writing, um, tell our listeners a little bit about those low points. Did you ever feel like, I like do you ever feel like oh I can't like I I don't think I have it made out to be to do this or did you ever have any doubts in yourself at all like what did that look like yeah I think every time I release something into the world I still feel that I mean over 20 years later still doing this and I kept telling myself one day the fear will go away Mm. and I've discovered it doesn't. And that is okay because fear just tells us that what we're doing matters. Mm. We feel fear when something is valuable to us and we care about what we put into the world, whether it's words or a business or a nonprofit or spreadsheets, whatever we are gifted at creating and offering to the world, we care about that. And so it's okay if we feel fear, we don't have to let it stop us. And that's what I learned, feel the fear and do it anyway. I think fear also keeps us dependent on God, you know, and I released this book about introverts, which is a lot more research-based than anything I'd ever done. And I had all the, what are people going to think? And what if it doesn't work? And all thoughts and so yeah I had them as an intern I have them as someone who's been doing this for a while I think everyone does and that's okay I've talked to a lot of people who say this must be a sign I'm not supposed to do this or I'm not Mm. ready and I think that the opposite is true I like to say fear is like a chihuahua that hangs out next to your dream and the closer you get to it the more it's gonna bark and you just gotta do it anyway because the worst thing it can do is hold you back yeah. You can't actually defeat your dream. In so, your, in your case, it was such an indicator of the path to take. It seems like, right? Because even in your story earlier, when when Grandma got you connected to, hey, my granddaughter wants to write, 
there was a lot of rejection instantly. Like, all right, I guess send her over there. But she said, all right, that's the path to go. There's, there's some tension yeah. and I'm going to go that way. Right. And so what I love about the Enneagram is it helps us to expose some of those weaknesses that are tensions to manage within us. So that way we can give ourselves proper grace and understanding for those tensions and knowing that, Hey, I'm not meant to solve these. I'm not meant to get rid of them. And actually when I learn to leverage these tensions, they bring humility and in humility brings that steadiness, that consistency, or that power that we need to ultimately accomplish our goals. Because if we were able to just uh, accomplish them, then we'd have no need for Christ. We'd have no need for God in our lives. We'd get out over our skis. We'd fall and wreck and, and crush ourselves. And so there's something to be said just in that nugget there of leveraging those fears or leveraging those tensions as strengths. I love how you've done that in your story and how you admit that even now as a best-selling author, you still feel that and you do mm. it anyway. I love that. Yeah. Um, great segue into actually speaking about your book, The Powerful Purpose of Introverts. So this was released in September of last year, correct? Yes. Uh, well, let's dive into that. So some of the things that you said was, uh, that you've mentioned there was physically, uh, that, that we are physically wired as introverts or extroverts. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, half the population is made up of introverts. So probably a lot more common than most people might think. And it is in our wiring. So super quick summary of the basic brain science. Yeah. It, extroverts and introverts use different primary brain neurotransmitters. So extroverts rely more on one called dopamine, which acts kind of like caffeine. It revs us up, prepares us for action. It's released when there's a lot coming at us from the outside. And introverts have a level of dopamine that already feels pretty good. It's like we've had our morning coffee. If we have a mm. whole lot more, it's like having a whole pot, maybe exhilarating at first, but eventually exhausting. <laughs> and we rely more on one called acetylcholine, which is released when we do things like turn inward for reflection, having a meaningful conversation with one person, fully focusing on a project we're passionate about. So that's one big difference. And then another is the brain pathways we use for processing. So extroverts use a shorter, faster brain pathway, more focused on the present. That's why they're great at that kind of quick back and forth conversation style. Mm. Introverts use one that's longer, more complex, and takes into account the past, present, and future, which is why we often add depth and insight to conversations and context. And so those are just a couple of examples where we really are created as introverts and extroverts. I think we're a complementary pairing that we need both equally in the world. We all have strengths to offer. We all have potential weaknesses and that we're better together. I'm thinking about the application to layering that, layering that or pairing that with the Enneagram to see that, well, because that's our belief with the Enneagram as well, is that that's how God created us. That's how we're wired. So then naturally to know that introvert and extrovert is how we're wired also. Because one thing that gets me is when someone says, well, I used to be an introvert, but now I'm an extrovert. My belief and my understanding, please feel free to correct me, is that that's not possible. You're wired in one way and that's how you are. Can you shed some light on that about the people that think they're this or, or the other? Yes, I'm with you. I don't really buy into the ambivert concept because it is wired into us. I think of it more like being right or left-handed. So we use both of our hands all day, every day, but there's one that's naturally stronger and we rely on more. So that's how it is to be an introvert or extrovert. We're on a continuum, 
that runs from introvert to extrovert. And we can shift within our given range on that, especially research shows we all become more introverted as we age, but we don't usually cross that middle line. There's been studies done even with infants that start showing introvert or extrovert characteristics at that age. And so again, I think it's a beautiful reflection of God's intentional design in each yeah. one of us. Gosh, that's so I, good. It is. I love the science of it. I, I am going to pick up that book. I'm going to read it because I love learning those things, especially as it just, it all comes together in what we do in the work with the Enneagram. Because when someone says that I used to be an introvert, but then I got a job with sales. So I had to learn how to be an extrovert. You know, my first thought is, I don't think you understand those terms and the <laughs> definitions actually. Right. But, but yeah. so, so there's a hard line you're saying, and someone might move a little bit more towards the line, but they're still going to land on that extrovert side or, or vice versa. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And we often do see a zone where especially an introvert may look more like an extrovert, but it's usually in one particular area they're passionate about for a cause or a person they believe in. And it's done in a way where they're, they have time to prepare a strategy when it comes to execution, and then they built in recovery afterwards. Mm. And so, for example, some really well-known introverts are Joanna Gaines, Oprah, Jerry Seinfeld, Michael Jordan, people that you wouldn't necessarily look at and say, oh yeah, they're an introvert because they're so public, but mm -hmm. they have an area of their lives where they are in their zone. And it is different for them, but it does show up in that way. Do you have a resource similar to our Enneagram assessment, assessment.truestrategy.info uh, for anyone that wants to take it? Do you have a resource for someone to find out if they are introvert or extrovert? Because I found myself trying to figure that out sometimes as well. Right. I'm like, I'm over here questioning myself. I'm like, hey, what but I really think that I am an introvert, but I'm like curious about that too. Yes, I do. I have a quiz on my site called What Percent Introvert Are You? It's quick, 10 questions. And so it'll tell you where you land on that introvert extrovert continuum. So you can go to hollygirth.com. There's a tab that says for introverts, and then it'll just pop up for you and you can take it. You had well, me I would, quick and 10 questions. <laughs> quick and 10 questions. That was right. Me too. It was like, let's do that. Uh, I wish we could make our assessment uh, quick and 10 questions. It is quick in about five minutes. I'm pretty confident I'm an extrovert. Lamar would say I'm an extrovert. My wife would say I'm an extrovert. What I had always been told, well, actually, when I finally got some proper knowledge on introvert versus extrovert is it's how you recharge where typically you can find which one you are. So if you really find that you are more recharged in being alone and getting away from people, you're probably an introvert. Or if you are more charged and energized by being around people, you're more of an extrovert. Is that true? Yeah, I've heard that same thing. Yeah, and that can be a really great way to summarize the differences. The background behind that is what we talked about with the brain science. It's because when we're with people, more dopamine is being released. And so that is more energizing to extroverts. When you're on your own, you're more in the acetylcholine zone, which is a better fit mm. for introverts. And so that is the backstory behind what looks on the surface, just like energized by people or energized by time alone, mm. but it does show up that way. And so energy management for introverts is one of the most important things because we're equally social as extroverts. We're just differently social and we do need that solitude in order to let our nervous systems recover. And then we're usually ready for more. And so wow. you're an extrovert. 
I'm an introvert. Okay. I'm 96% <laughs> introvert. <laughs> I think it would only make sense. <laughs> powerful purpose of introverts written by an introvert. You know, I, I agree. I agree. But when she said we as extroverts, I think she was doing the thing of like, you know, when I'm talking about a type and I'll say like we as type fives or what have you, but I'm, I'm an eight. because I think about it and, and I see the Enneagram and it, it gives such great clues to who God is. Because all of us at our best, when we're in that confidence path or that healthy path, we're givers, we're, we're servants, we want to serve others. All of us at our worst, or that stressed or insecurity path, we're very selfish and self-serving. All of mm. us, regardless of the type, some are just a little more and a little less. But an eight, when they're in unhealth, take on those negative characteristics of the five. So for me, when I'm getting really stressed, I want to shut out the whole world. And I know as an extrovert, I'm actually removing myself from the thing that as the science is showing and what you're just describing is actually better for me. So I'm almost becoming my own worst enemy because I'm stressed. I want to remove myself from the world. And it's just so interesting to see all those things come together and lead to greater development and awareness and, and personal growth. Yeah. I think it's really important to know the difference between solitude and isolation and so isolation is living disconnected from God, others, and our truest selves. When God says it's not good for man to be alone, that word alone is describing isolation. So it can be physical, but it's more about our souls. So mm. we can be isolated in a crowd, whereas solitude is physical time apart, chosen for a specific purpose, like rest, connecting with God, doing creative work, those things that fill us back up as introverts and extroverts, even though we may need different amounts of solitude to be at our best. And so I think you described it so well. When we feel ourselves withdrawing out of stress or fear or from a negative place, then we can say, hey, I'm at risk of isolating. But if we're saying, okay, I have given what I have to share right now, and I'm going to take some time to process and fill back up so that I can go out and give again and serve and connect, then that is healthy solitude. And so I think that's an important distinction, especially for introverts who can feel guilty for needing that time, but it mm. actually empowers us to serve well for a lifetime. Oh my goodness. Yep. I think I figured it out. Wow. Yeah, because all that stuff is <laughs> directly to me. I'm still going to take that test, but that's so good. So so is there like a specific frequency that as far as like that time of solitude that you would recommend? Or is it just dependent upon the person? I say that people can start by experimenting. Just ask yourself, what is the minimum amount of solitude I think I need? And schedule that into your calendar like you would an important meeting. And if it gets bumped, reschedule it, just make it happen. And after you do that for a bit, notice, say, okay, yeah, I'm good. That's enough. Or I need to add a little more. And so that's one type of solitude is scheduled. Mm. And then there's also spontaneous solitude. And that just comes from giving ourselves permission to have solitude when we feel the need for it. Mm. And so it may be saying, all right, I'm going to this conference. I'm going to go to one workshop this afternoon, but I'm going to give myself permission to take a break for an hour before dinner, because I know that I can only take in so much before I've got all I can handle. And so I'm going to focus on quality over quantity. That's a big thing, especially for introverts is saying, 
I'm going to pursue a life of quality over quantity. And so mm. I think just experimenting and sometimes life is really crazy. Joanna Gaines, I mentioned is an introvert and her rhythm of solitude is before she goes into a new event, she sits in her car for five minutes by herself <laughs> and that's doable. I literally you know? do that. Yeah. I literally do that. <laughs> and that's a great, I mean, that's a great rhythm because it is, it's doable. I hide in the bathroom, you know? So, <laughs> oh my God. That's um, so, so yeah. That's hilarious. Like literally there's been, I remember <laughs> my first Christmas party with my wife. Um, it was for her company. It wasn't even my company. It was her company. And I remember getting there and I'm like, I was like, babe, we need to like, can we just take a moment? Like and just pray before we go in here. Like, and I didn't even realize like I was doing an introverted type of thing. Like I needed to get ready for it. And like, ever since then, like whenever her and I are doing like some type of new event with a new group of people, like that's what I have to do before we head in. It's so, that's so cool. Anyways. Yeah. That's a great strategy. Um, so when you talk about the solitude, like, does that, I know we're diving really deep in this because it's, I'm being selfish here. <laughs> um, but when you talk about sol like the solitude, like, is that have to be like, you're in prayer? Like, is it sometimes like, just, do you just completely check out? Like, are you just going to watch TV or play video games or read? Or is it just, what, what does that look like? And is that different for everyone? I think it's different for everyone. It's just asking what is restorative to me. Mm. So for example, I often spend time reading in solitude. My husband, he wants to go ride his bike mm. and that is solitude. He wants to be out in nature and that's when he feels most connected to God and gets to mm. process things. And so I think just asking yourself what feels restorative to me and mm. even making a list and going for a walk, reading, prayer, just being at the house by myself occasionally, just listing all the things that feel restorative. And so you can pick from them like a menu when you're in a space where you have some time for solitude or you know you really need it. So you've battled depression and anxiety in your life. Um, and you also share the story about you and your husband uh, being infertile for, for 10 years. And I'm sure as that could have been very tough, but uh, statistics show that many people do go through that as well. But you know, what has helped you most through those tough times? Yeah, well, with anxiety and depression, I came to understand it's just a vulnerability that comes with my wiring. Research mm -hmm. has shown that introverts are more vulnerable to anxiety and depression. They're not sure totally why, but probably because of our very active inner minds <laughs> that wow. can lead us to rumination. And yeah. I used to feel some guilt about that. I think especially as people of faith, we can be told you just need to pray more. You need to do this mm -hmm. more. And I felt like God showed me to look at it as Paul did his thorn in the flesh, that his power is made perfect in our weakness and that our strengths yeah. and weaknesses in a way are connected. So if you look at like the introvert nervous system, which tends to be more sensitive than the average on the left side of that would be struggle, which would be like anxiety and depression on the right side would be strength, which would be things like empathy, perceptiveness, the way that we catch a lot that's going on around us. And so I realized God doesn't want to change us through elimination, through saying, I'm going to get rid of this part of who you are because he designed every part of us intentionally. Instead, he wants to change us through transformation, which means yeah. just moving from the struggle side of that continuum to the strength side, one step at a time. 
And that was my journey was, you know, talking to a good counselor, working with my doctor, telling my friends, Hey, I'm in a tough spot right now, knowing I need to exercise because my brain needs it just as much as my body, just finding all these different ways to say, how do I live on the strength side of that continuum? Mm. And so that was really helpful. All those tools and same with our infertility. That was a hard season. And I think knowing I didn't have to do it alone, that God was with me. I could find other people to be around me, to support me, I think was a really important part of that healing journey too. Yeah, yeah. And your talk on anxiety is is so important because I think we do a lot of work in the, in the corporate and small business space. And a lot of people struggle with the idea of sales. There's so much anxiety just built around having to do that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Like, why, why do you think, you know, sales is always just like the most difficult part, but the most needed part of, of business? Yeah, I was listening to a podcast episode one time that talked about the benefits of anxiety in a workplace setting. And I was like, what? There are no benefits to my anxiety. But they said people who are anxious, they tend to pay more attention, be more in tune to other people because they care about what that person thinks about them. They tend to be very diligent with details. They're not going to miss something. They're usually thorough with Mm follow-up. And so there's characteristics that when we say, okay, I'm feeling anxiety again, because this really matters to me. The sale matters to me. This client matters to me. But that doesn't mean I have to let it be the boss of me. That's when we get in trouble, when anxiety becomes the boss. But if we say, all right, anxiety, I'm going to let you be my ally. I'm going to let you push me to pay more attention in this meeting. I'm going to let you prompt me to read through that report one more time. I'm going to let you remind me to follow up on that sales Mm. call I made, then anxiety can ironically be helpful. And I know sometimes it's so extreme, like panic attacks and things like that. I never want to minimize that level of anxiety. I think get whatever help is needed for that. But as far as the anxiety that just goes along without, with doing meaningful work, I Mm. think if we can embrace that and say, it's okay to feel this way, then we can actually channel it in some helpful ways. Yeah. I mean, Spider-Man had anxiety and, yes. you know, he's, he's a superhero. Yeah. That actually <laughs> is a really common thing, right? All superhero <laughs> stories. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's just, it, what, I mean, really what I got that from you is, is treating it, that anxiety as somewhat of like your spider senses. You know, yeah. the, nerd, the nerd in me exactly. um, <laughs> telling you to do something that you should do anyhow. Yeah. Uh, and I find myself when I think more about what I should be doing, all that does is just build the anxiety when really I should just do what I'm thinking about doing. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. And this can be really helpful with kids because mm. high anxiety kids, if you absolutely get them the help they need, but also teach them, this is part of your superpower. Not everyone notices as much as you do. Not everyone feels as deeply as you do. Like this is part of strengths you have. Then them not to accept labels. They don't have to because they're not limited by anxiety unless it controls them. Instead, you can actually put it into God's hands and he can use it. I love that. Every type listening, apply that same principle to the things that you carry that maybe you see as flaws or the things that maybe 
tear you down or hold you back, apply those things and, and really just shifting the mindset of how you think about them, right? It's a gift that you feel like that or that you believe like that. I love how this is just so applicable from the the study of the introverts to how it applies to the extroverts or the study of anxiety for people that maybe don't have as much uh, like me as a type eight, but it, it, it does happen. We all experience it to some degree. And you said, I get to follow up with that person later, not, oh my gosh, I have to follow up with them and they're going to end up uh, being upset with me or hate me where anxiety can take us, right? Worst case scenarios. No, I, I get to follow up with them later. I love just the, the paradigm shift there. The other thing for me too, is when you mentioned <clears throat> people don't feel the same as you do uh, when you're in these high stakes sales environments, like all that pressure that you're feeling, you think that the other person in the room literally feels the exact same way when that's not the case. All right. In fact, probably imagining when we all the three of us jumped onto this conference and we have not met each other, there's probably a little bit of like, oh crap, what am I going to say? What is he going <laughs> to ask me? You know what I mean? And like deep down, I didn't even get that gauge from you. But now that I know more about you, maybe you were thinking that. Yeah. So um, it's so funny, like when you just allow it to like, hey, the anxiety that's between you and yourself, don't let that uh, destroy your ability to close a deal or help that person. Uh, it's so important to realize like, that's just you going through that, not them. Yeah. Yeah. And just to say, it's okay that I care what people think. Like, I'm not going to let that control me, but this just means that I'm a person paying attention to others who values relationships. I think we can just sort of shame ourselves in ways that we don't need to, because in the extreme, it's not helpful, but in a lot of ways we can use it. That's so good. So good. Keanu, anything you want to add from a business perspective? I'm going to, I'm going to head over to revealing Holly's type. No, I, uh, I'm just excited to get into her type and learning how she's leveraged that to be the success that she is and really giving our, our listeners, aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs and business owners, her, getting a peek into her mind as a business owner. So go ahead, Lamar. I think we can, we can get to her type now. Yeah. So now that we've gotten the opportunity to, to, to know you more, please reveal your type and how knowing that has helped you. Yes, I am a one wing nine. <laughs> and yes. I did not know that for a while. I started out thinking I was a two and then I thought I was maybe a nine. And then a friend of mine who's a one said, Holly, I think you need to look a little harder at the one. And I realized mm. It was because so much of the talk about Enneagram ones is using extroverted examples. So the one wow. being critical of their outward environment, a lot of times that's what's used to describe ones in books and things like that. Mm. So I am such an introvert. I'm not even paying attention <laughs> to the picture that's crooked on the wall. Like my husband has moved furniture yeah. before and waited for me to notice and it's taken a while. So I, but I have a very strong inner critic. And so as an yeah. introvert, my oneness expresses itself more inwardly. Outwardly, I think I look more like a nine, but inwardly, once I realized that a core part of being a one was that strong inner critic and desire, desire to be good and right and not make mistakes. I was like, yep, that is, I'm a one. So that has oh been my gosh. journey. How yeah. have you, so how, okay. here, go ahead, Lamar. No, my bad. I wasn't paying attention. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. I feel like we were about to ask the same thing. Let's see if we were, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, so how, how do you 
you know, how, how does self-awareness, like why has that been so critical to, to you doing well in your business? I think it helps us realize our possible pitfalls and also how to maximize our strengths. So the one is called the perfectionist, which I don't love, <laughs> but that is me at my worst. So I call myself a potentialist because I think that's the gift of ones. We can see the potential. In Let's go. Or a project or a podcast and, <laughs> and be really driven if we're spirit led to close the gap between what is real and ideal, which is a continual source of frustration, but also inspiration. And so I think, again, going back to that continuum, it just allows us to see both sides of our continuum to say, here are some potential struggles. Here are some potential strengths. How do I make sure that I'm watching out for what could trip me up and making the most of what I can really thrive in? What is real and what is ideal? Mar, <laughs> be prepared for that to be deployed at some point in one of our meetings <laughs> or somewhere or something. Uh, one of our other partners, our board member, he's a one, Lamar's a one. I'm an eight and our other partners an eight. So it's a right down the middle. Typically we side with those lines as well. The ones are together, the eights are together, but we have to discern what is real versus what is ideal. And I think that that goes for, for, for all of us. Eights will want to land on the, you know, more ideal side of everything. And, you know, the ones on more of the real side of, I don't know. I think it's just very interesting how you've applied that. So how have you applied this understanding to your relationships. One thing that we say in our belief is true strategy as a company is we accelerate relationships and accelerate results. First, our relationship with ourselves to understand ourselves better and apply that to anything we're doing. And then accelerate our relationships with those around us as well to not project or to expect the same things out of everyone just because it's natural to us and to really get to results. So how have you applied it in maybe your marriage or just relationships with your team? Well, I think we can approach life from one of three perspectives, self-awareness, self-doubt, or self-focus. And so self-doubt obviously is insecurity. Self-focus would lean more toward pride. Self-awareness is saying, I'm going to fully understand who God created me to be so that I can leverage mm. that on behalf of the kingdom, others, and my truest self. And so... That's where I found it to be helpful to just grow in that. And I have found people sometimes say, well, I'm not supposed to focus on myself or learn about myself. And I've actually found that the most self-aware people are also the most other aware people. That when we know our uniqueness, we better appreciate the uniqueness in others. Because the alternative is we assume everyone is just like us. And that leads to misunderstanding, which is why tools like the Enneagram and the work you're doing are so important. My and goodness. so I think that's where I've applied it, learning to come to work and relationships from a place of self-awareness rather than my tendency is self-doubt out of wow. those two alternatives. I have oh. to say when she said, she went in on that one. When people operate out of one of three, as soon as she said one of three, I'm like, hold up, we're going for a ride. This is about to be really good. <laughs> We've had some amazing guests on our podcast, Holly, and I've, I've never said this. I've never felt this before. And I do our editing. So I go back and of course I have to re-listen to it, but I'm really excited to get this one edited so I could just sit down and actually absorb it because I've right. been quiet and our listeners know that is very rare, but it's just been awesome <laughs> to just sit here and really just glean from your knowledge and wisdom, but especially because there's so much overlap in what we do. So 
I'd be interested to know if you'd be interested in doing some type of collaboration in workshops or speaking or classes or something like that in the future, where we can take all of your knowledge and what you have and what we use with the Enneagram and really bring those together, because I think they'd be impactful for people out there. Would you be interested in that? Yes, I think that would be really fun. I keep kicking around an idea of doing something that explores what I was talking about, how being an introvert or extrovert um, impacts your Enneagram number. Because I think wow. Enneagram number I'm has a that. different expression based on yeah. you know, um, whether you're an introvert or extrovert. Because I was thinking from the one perspective, like the same thing, like it is a tendency to withdraw in those moments of insecurity, which if you know, if you're an introvert or extrovert, you could be doing something that is actually helpful or you could be doing something that's harmful to you. Yeah. So that, like when you, when Keanu shared that, it made me think the same thing. I was like, well, when I withdraw, it's good for me. Like, I'm glad that I have that tendency to recharge in that way. So that's yeah. so cool. All right, Holly, as we wrap up this conversation, uh, I know that you know, I've taken a ton from this and so is our, so is our listeners. But if there is one thing that you would want our listeners to get from you today, what would that be? I think embrace who you are and just keep moving toward who all God created you to be and trust that you are one of a kind. You're never going to be repeated and you are here for such a time as this. And the gifts and strengths you have to offer are needed more than ever before. And again, just we're better together. We're all different. And that's a really good thing. You guys, you have to go and get Holly's book, The Powerful Purpose of Introverts. Uh, it is available, I'm sure, anywhere that you get your books from. Uh, and she has plenty of others that she's, plenty of other work that she's done prior to that. Uh, but Holly, we are so, so glad that you came on this podcast with us today. Me too. Thanks again for having me. If you want to engage with us, you are ready to accelerate relationships to accelerate results in your business or on your team. Or if you're a business owner and you're finally getting back together in person again and you're planning your next event, we'd love to connect with you to see what it would look like to come in and serve your team and speak to your team about how to implement the Enneagram into your day-to-day and into your processes. So you can email us, info at truestrategy.info, and we'll connect with you there. Thank you all for joining us again. See you next week.